hearing and seeing the right things when you're asking questions, then you reinforce that. And sometimes that reinforcement is, okay, that's, that's great. That's how we're going to operate today because now you're, you're making them think it's them, not you. What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. The views and the opinions expressed are those of your host and the guest. Today, we have a man by the name of Kelvin Barty. He's a retired assistant chief from the Phoenix Fire Department, a 33-year veteran. We jumped into this episode, uh, inadvertently hit record, and just started talking. So, not a traditional format, but a very great conversation Hope you have a little bit of time on your hands, and I hope you enjoy. You're inviting us to go to Germany. We don't care about conference or no <laughs> conference. We might stick our head in for a day because it's like, oh, look, cool, right. big fire trucks. You know, yeah, that kind but of an stuff. opportunity to go with with friends. Yes, they're yes. going anyway. Yeah. yeah, and we've traveled with uh, with Kevin and Mickey, his wife. Um, we've gone to uh, England before. We've gone to New York with them before, and we've gone to California. We enjoy their company and everything else. Yeah. And then there's another couple, uh, a third couple that we traveled with as well that are uh, Kevin and Mickey's friends from South Carolina, older couple. And, and, uh, and they're both retired from the fire service, him and his wife. And they do some conference stuff uh, themselves. Uh, oh, okay. I can't remember the name of, of the company that they, they, that they facilitate, but they do conferences around the world based on safety. Oh, cool. Um, safety conferences stuff, fire service related. So they, they travel with us as well. And, and me and my wife, we're the younger couple of the group. And not that Kevin and Mickey are much older, just a year or two. Um, but younger nonetheless, I claim yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Young. We're the, yeah, we're the babies. But uh, anyway, we were looking forward to that, looking forward to going to Germany. Um, you know, had it all planned out, had the, you know, the business class tickets. You know, we're not flying, you know, uh, uh, you know common carrier across the, across the pond. <laughs> and so we, we, all that stuff got shut down with COVID, unfortunately, yeah. which is sad. But again, it'll happen. We're yeah. planning on going next year. If everything allows us to, we've already planned on going next year. And same thing with we'll go back to New York again. Probably, if we can, we'll do it this winter. If not, we'll do it later. So Yeah, we, uh, my wife has gotten into traveling the last few years. And I've never been a huge traveler, but it's, mostly for lack of opportunity but i love the idea and so anyways we we have uh one of the first trips we need to take is to france yeah but I'll, so i'll tell you a funny story so our whole marriage we've been married now and we're in our 28th year so mm -hmm. we've been talking about a lot of this traveling for a long time yeah. and we came up from being totally broke together so we've been in this in this ride together yes. and what's funny to me is uh, last well, a couple summers ago, she's like, that's it. I'm traveling. And I had a knee surgery and I had this. And this. so she traveled with my kids, my grown kids. So it was great. Really neat opportunity for her to, to do this with them. Well, one summer she's last summer, actually, she's like, Hey, I'm going to England with Zeke. We are out. We found this great deal on tickets. We are out of here. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so, so she leaves, goes to Europe it goes to England specifically. They're cruising around England for a couple of days. And then she, I said, Hey, here's the deal before, before she left, I made this deal. I said, I want to go to France with you. Do not go to France without me. <laughs> and so she gets to England and mm -hmm. she's having a great time and she could not help herself. <laughs> she had a glass of wine and there yeah. it was. <laughs> she calls me and she goes, you're going to be really mad. I go, what do you mean I'm going to be mad? Like, what, what could you possibly have done? And she's like, well, Zeke and I are standing in line to get on a Eurorail to go across the canal or whatever what's it called the, the channel um, the english channel yeah, yes. to go under the english channel yeah. and go to france and i'm like I, 
28 years. I can't blame you, I guess. Like, you've been waiting on me all this time. <laughs> you finally are within throwing distance. you got to go. And, and that's just it. You're, look, you're staring me in the face. Yeah. It's right there. The barrier to entry was whoa, just too low. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. She also went and saw Hamilton. Oh, without you. Yes. In England. Yes. And it, apparently it was a really amazing production. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. couldn't get tickets on Broadway. And so she's like, and we're in New York. And she's like, all right, well, I found an opportunity. The tickets were super cheap. I'm like, you living your best life without me. <laughs> it's what you said. It's like, it's staring me in the face. I love you, but here it is right now. Yeah. But the good thing is she told you about it. She did call me <laughs> and, yes. and confess. Yes, that's the 28 years. The relationship is sound because she's going to go ahead and communicate with you yeah. either before or after, but either way. Yes. Yeah, yeah I am standing in line about to do this thing. You are going to be mad. And I was like, you know, I can't be mad at you. I, how how wonderful for you to be right there and to take advantage of that opportunity and go do something. And hey, and and she's doing it with my son. Like, what a really neat opportunity for the two of them. So, Absolutely. yeah, that's that's important stuff. That that family stuff is really important. And I think that one of the things that, you know, I know when we talk about, we're going to talk about the fire service and we talk about our jobs and, and the, the stress of life. And I think this happens in any industry. But it it is so easy to take the what I would consider sometimes the easy way out, which is not working on the relationship, which is not focusing on the home life and saying, okay, what can I do to shore this up? It's hard work, and um, you know, my wife and I have not. Uh, it's not been super simple. It's been a lot of work and a lot of sacrifice and a lot of mostly on my part the willingness to subjugate my ego and say, mm, I am wrong. You are right, and um, how do we move forward? Right. So I have my own little light bulb moments and my own little thoughts and, and processes and philosophies about stuff. And 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 what you just talked about the the relational component of that and family, and 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 this also applies to work, the work environment, because much like personal relationships that we have with our spouses or significant others, you know, whether it's 25, 30 years, we're going to be in relationships in the fire service for 30 years. We don't hire people for, you know, four or five years and expect them to move on. We, when we hire them coming in the door, we typically hire them for life. That's the concept that we're thinking. And we're instilling those philosophies in them from day one, the teamwork, the networking and everything else that we do from right. day one. And so as leaders in the fire service, I think that's huge for us to be able to equate that to say, how do we make this last for 30 years? There's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be highs and lows. People, we're human beings. People aren't perfect. Um, I've got an HR background, having worked there for you know several years. Um, you know, I've got other you know fire service related backgrounds with leadership and everything else. But that was one of the biggest concepts of we don't want to damage people um, when they're down. We want to pick them back up, get them back on the bus and help them keep continue to move forward because we expect them to be here for 30 years and we want them to be here for 30 years. Right. Circle that back around to your relationship and it's the same thing. You're going to go through highs and lows. You're going to, you know, have the, the good days and then you're going to, you know, what I call the, 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 the BDEs, the best day ever. <laughs> um, and I, and I, and every day is a BDE for me. I, every day I wake up, it's, this is the best day ever. Right. Um, but you're going to have those. Is that those, because you're retired now? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the, again, I, I have these little epiphanies and these ph philosophical moments, and I started thinking about that as, a, as an, an administrator, as an executive officer, not so much on the fire truck, because every day on the fire truck is the best day ever. <laughs> but in the environment when you're working staff work, 
and everything else, you have to create a little bit more of your own happiness. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and so I, I thought about that. I said, you know what? There are no bad days. You know what I mean? Just, you know, you wake up, you come up with the right attitude, the right attitude, you know, uh, helps facilitate the rest of the day. You're going to run into issues, problems, programs, process, and everything else. But right. you know what? It's still the best day ever. You know, well, it's funny you say that because I, as a relatively new staff guy, I am finding myself um, trying to identify with who I am as a quote firefighter, right? And so where I've landed in a very, I very quickly landed in a place where it's about the mission, right? And wherever I am in the organization, I have the ability to impact the mission. And to serve the mission and fulfill, you know, to to provide service to Mrs. Smith. And it might be indirectly through multiple layers back, but nonetheless, there's things that I'm doing that directly serve the mission. So when I get up and I, you know, I have my BDE because I go, hey, I have an opportunity to, to serve and to, to give back to the community. And that's what I chose. That's why I'm here. Yes. That's what I chose to do in the first place. That's why I signed up for this you know, this opportunity, this career path, why I, you know, chose to take on the challenges that come with it for that very reason. What I like about what we just discussed, what you just said, is that you you find that as you navigate um, the, the various positions within the fire service, if you're looking to promote up and you're looking to, to do other things other than be on a fire truck, you do have to figure out, you know, again, what is my mission and how do I uh, gain value or have added value from that mission and your mission doesn't really change because your mission is if you're if your mission focused and it should be is still how does this add value to to mr and mrs smith um you're you're a spoke in the wheel we talk about that a lot you're a spoke in the wheel so just because you're not on a fire truck delivering direct service to the customer via either fire or medical you're still a part of that hub and you're still everything that you're applying whether it's in you know you know managing the alarm room managing human relations uh you know uh, whatever you're applying to is still a hub in that wheel and and because of that, you're supporting the overall mission of, okay, this is providing services to the customer. If I'm keeping my firefighters uh, safe, if I'm keeping them well, if I'm helping to um, helping them to manage process and program, whatever that is, it all funnels back down to they can't provide services to the customer or the customer isn't getting services, whether that's directly or indirectly from firefighters, without the support of the whole process. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so that's it's it's so important to maintain an awareness of that and a mindfulness of it and th- for so many reasons. But it it's easy to get disconnected, right? And and I know we uh, when I was a firefighter riding on a truck, I would think senior staff is so disconnected; <laughs> they don't get it. And I think every firefighter ever has said that about senior staff because they're not they don't see them very often. They're they're a little bit less present, and so it's easy to say oh, they don't get it. Yeah. Um, but and I think it's easy as a staff member, as a as a chief officer, to find yourself separated and allow yourself to be separated from the operations, the 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 field operations. So I think it's a deliberate decision to say, what am I doing? How does it connect with? How does it help wheels roll on fire trucks? Yes. Right, and 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 making sure that you're deliberately connecting the work you're doing to the uh, overall organizational objective. And, and if you deliberately do that, you've, you know, more often than not, you are aligning yourself properly. And I think that's really an important thing to do uh, on a, you know, on daily, weekly, monthly basis, as you sit down and look at your, you know, your strategic vision for what you're trying to accomplish, et cetera. How does it make the mission? How does it make wheels roll? How does it support the direct, how does it support the work that firefighters are doing 
in the field, in the hazard zone. Yes. You hit it right on the head, I think. And what you'll find is, is uh, you know, again, philosophical moments, practical moments. But, you know, you're always going to find, like you said, how do I connect and how, what type of impact am I having? And you'll find that you're having impact on not just the customer on the street, but you're probably having more direct impacts on the, on the employees that you work with or work for you or you work for as you move up the chain. And those impacts are having impact on the people that are delivering the services. Um, so you find yourself more in a leadership role. You definitely find yourself more in a management role. And that management role is probably the one that is um, the most unique for firefighters coming off of a fire truck as they're transi transitioning into the, to the, uh, the positions of administrators or you know, uh, uh, higher level managers, chief officers, basically. Um, again, I have little, you know, light, I call them light bulb moments. So I'm driving over here and I'm, I'm having a light bulb moment and I'm thinking about leadership and management. And there's philosophy everywhere about leadership and management. And so this is just me. This isn't, you know, written in the book or anything else. But I said, okay, let me think about this a little bit. Because leadership and management, to me, they, there's, a, there's, a, there's a tandem component to that. Um, there's a lot of discussion about leadership, and we can go in depth in that. And, and there's a lot of discussion about management, and people like to separate the two. But in business, I think you have to be able to understand how they work together. And so I'm thinking in my head, I'm thinking, okay, let's process this a little bit. So I'm thinking the leadership component of, of this leadership management tandem is the leadership is, is basically about the, 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 the why and the what. It's, it's a lot more philosophical. Yeah. It's a lot more about the values and the culture. It's about the mentorship, but it's instilling that, that, that what I call that, that verbal interaction that helps to plant the seeds, right, and to guide people that way. Um, and I said the management side is a lot more about um, uh, uh, well, actually, the leadership side is, is more about the how and the why. The management side is the what. So the what is, you know, you got to have process. You got to have application. So you have to know how and uh, to do those things. Okay, so whether it's through policy or procedure or whether it's a physical application of something, as a manager, you have to, be un you have to understand uh, where that comes from and how to do it, how to apply it. And you have to have concepts to help you do that. Yeah. So in leadership, you think about, you know, again, the, the whys, um, you know, and then in the, in the management, you think about the what's. And then you have the, the wins and the where's. And the wins and the where's are, are, are really about the time and the place. Yeah. So the time and the place really is all about, so when is whenever, okay? And whenever is always, and, and, and then um, the, the what is whatever, and the whatever is, again, whatever and wherever and always. And so um, I started just processing that through my mind, just so I had a little, little bit of, uh, uh, how do I put this in a, in a process where I can think about, okay, if, if we're talking about management, we're talking about leadership, how do I simplify this so that it makes a little bit of sense on what am I, what, what's, what's my responsibility? What am I supposed to be doing from the position of leadership and the position of management? So again, those are my little epiphany moments. Um, they apply to me. They don't necessarily apply to anybody else. But as I process them a little bit further, I find, the, I find how applicable they are to me when I think about what drives me from a leadership perspective. Most of it is the philosophy. It's the style. It's the value. It's the working with people. All right? Leadership is all about, to me, mentorship, you know, um, working with the people, having the, the vocal aspect of that and planting the seeds, uh, guiding people to do the right thing for the right reasons. The management for me has always been more about, okay, the how, the process of doing not just the leadership side, but if I'm working in a business, 
what are the rules, what are the policies, what are the procedures, what, what, what helps me to do the job for these people and with these people. Um, you know, I think about a captain in a fire station, constant leadership, most important position in the, in the entire job of a firefighter. They're constantly applying leadership because they're having the one-on-one, face-to-face in that house with their firefighters for 24-7, and they're meeting the customer and having direct, direct impact with them, right? And, and they're, they're looking at their other firefighters, and their other firefighter, the firefighters that work for them are emulating them. If they're doing good things, they're emulating that. You know, if they're doing bad things or negative things, they're, they're emulating that. Um, but that same captain has to be skilled. They have to know, you know, the what. They have to be skilled in the fire profession. They have to be skilled in the EMS profession. Um, otherwise, they're not going to lead their people and personnel very well. So right. they have to have the ability to, to understand a little bit of process and manage. So. so you've touched on some really important concepts that I think are, are worth repeating and, and delving into a little bit. So when you talk about leadership being about people, I think that it's really important for, for us to, to understand. And then, of course, management is about process, right? And it's about knowledge, skills, and abilities. And, and we, I think a lot of times we separate those because people, because some folks are really good managers. They, but, but they, they are socially inept and don't understand, they have no empathy, they have no social nuance, and they, they don't have the ability to navigate people, so they don't. They step away and they say they focus on management of pro- and process. Yes. And so they're like the SOP say, the AR say, and they, they just focus on that component, and they're very knowledgeable, but nobody will follow them anywhere. I won't, I won't follow you to chow right. because all you are focused on is process um, versus the other person who, who is really good with people. Everybody loves them. They, they would follow that person to the ends of the earth and they, their jobs, you know, they, and they'll forgive them because their, their knowledge, skills and abilities are weak and they don't really have a good understanding of the SOPs, but they, they, they help their people be satisfied and happy and, and um, they have fun. Right. <laughs> I think what's the the balance though that people need to strike is is understanding that leadership. You talk about the why. It's about every individual comes to their job, whether it be the fire service or wherever in industry, and they're there for different reasons. And the leader's responsibility when it comes to empathy and thoughtfulness is to is to understand how these different players, uh, what motivates each individual, and to help them find satisfaction in the work that they're doing and help them fill the gaps in their knowledge, skills, and abilities, right? So so the leader, the manager, the, that person needs to have a, a skill set that's broad in all those areas. One of the beauties of what, you, what we're talking about, especially from the leadership perspective, is organizationally, when we'll talk about you know, Phoenix Fire Department from where I came, organizationally, the organization has a set of values. It has a set of established values and a mission and a mission statement um, um, we used to have the PFD way and professional standards guide. And those values are, are, are written throughout. The values are written actually in the policies of the Phoenix Fire Department, which in a lot of places, they're not really value related in policy, but in Phoenix Fire Department, they are. Um, and so one of the things that I think a good leader in, in from a, an organizational perspective and a management, pers- but not a management perspective, but an organizational perspective is, is how do you get those individuals who come from different places and bring their own values and their own set of philosophies to better meld into the organizational values and philosophies, to guide them along the way, to make sure that, that, that we're all on the same page. 
Okay, if the organizational philosophies are good philosophies, which I think from the Phoenix Fire Department perspective, very good philosophies on how we treat the customer. You know, prevent harm, survive, be nice, good philosophies. Um, um, don't disqualify the customer with your qualifications. How we're supposed to treat each other and the fact that it's really a team environment and it's all about the team. All of those are positive philosophies and you want to make sure that your, your people are in line with those philosophies. And so you're feeding it back. It's kind of like I say, it's like raising kids. You're planting seeds all the time. You're either guiding them to where the philosophy is, you're speaking through about the philosophy, you're, you're, you're being the example of that philosophy by how you treat them and, and then how you treat others. Um, all of those things are, are, are part of the leadership component. Um, because again, people who bring their own individual philosophy into an organization may not mirror what the organization thinks and or the organization wants or the organization needs. And then so from a leader, you need to make sure that they understand, yes, your values and our values are pretty much the same. Um, and if they're not, you can have yours. It's okay. But I need you to understand what we need. Right. Okay. Well, let me, let me clarify my, my point though, about the, um, the, where where people are coming with different whys that part to me is it it's not inconsistent with the organization but you're but what i hear what you're saying is everybody has a different motivator a different reason for being here at least that's what i was focused on right like my reason for being a firefighter is different than bob's or yours and and so um as a leader we have to get everybody whether regardless of where they are what their agenda is for any given day headed in the same direction, which is what you're talking about, is there is an organization, a set of organizational values and organizational directives and, and a mission, and we have to get folks funneled in the right direction so or pointed in the right direction so we're all bringing our, our own individual talents and skills and applying them into uh, to serve the mission that we are here collectively to, to fulfill. So you're spot on. So the most basic value of, of the organization that I see is basically customer service. We're all here for, for the customer. And, and we talked about it earlier. You know, the fire service is a, is a people-related organization. All we do is provide services to people, communicate with people, touch people, and all that kind of stuff. We don't sell cars. We don't, you know, we don't, we don't fix appliances. We're all about people. If an individual comes into the fire service-related organization, whether it be Phoenix or some other fire department, and comes into the process, and they don't care about people, then they're going to struggle in this organization of that if, 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 and, and they're going to struggle with that if they don't have a value set. Hopefully they're coming in that says, I'm here because I care about people. I care about helping people. Um, I care about, you know, um, in, in so many different facets, physically, emotionally, whatever. And, and, and I've said this, I've said this to my own personnel over time. So I said, if you don't care about people, you're in the wrong place. This is not the job for you because all we do is people. Yeah, internally and externally. And externally, exactly. You know. We need to care about each other. We need to value each other. Um, we, we need to have uh, uh, um, that ability to, to provide empathy for each other. We need to be, have that ability to have the empathetic towards the customer. Um, and so, you know, that's to me is like on the most basic level, you know, that's what this job is all about, right? Yeah. 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 And, then, and then, you know, when we talk about management, well, there's the management of those processes about how do we deliver that to the people? You know, whether that's the physical performance, the behavioral performance, um, you know, uh, all the way down to um, things like, you know, are people showing up for work and so you're managing time, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Right. The little stuff. The little stuff. 
important stuff. I'm, I'm realizing um, that we <laughs> never introduced you. True. We just started talking. <laughs> so, um, so Chief Barty, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you and how did you get here? Um, so who am I? Who, who am I? That's always an interesting question because I'm always, you know, trying to think of, well, who am I? Where am I now? Right. <laughs> um, I'm, you know, right now I'm, I'm, a, I'm a retired, uh, I retired as assistant fire chief at the Phoenix Fire Department I, after 33 years of service. Um, uh, you know, the, the story goes, I walked into the fire department um, because, well, before I got on the fire department, I got hired in 1985. I worked for uh, Maricopa County Sheriff's Office as a detention officer. So I, I, you know, didn't have the gun, but I did have the badge. And, and that was, that's, there's an interesting story behind that. We won't go into too much detail, but I was 18 years old at the time. And, um, I learned a lot. At the time you became a detention officer? At the time I became a detention okay. officer. Which, uh, now you have to be 21. I, they changed that rule a long time Probably ago. Probably because Back of you. then it was, it was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did I do? What did I do? But what I learned from there was a very similar set of values that the fire department has. Because when you're working in the jail, you're dealing with people. And you're dealing with people that are having probably not the best day, the best life. And, and, and some people are, I hate to use the word bad because I don't know that there's bad people, but some people have been, done some, some bad things or they've, they've done things that have put them in that position or things have been thrust upon them that put them in a, in a negative light and they facilitated that and then they end up in jail. But one of the things that I remember talking to my coworkers about, you know, a, a, a mature coworker, I would say, who knows how old he was. He was probably in his 30s when I'm 18, you know. Uh, but either way, and, and he talked about the fact that, you know, if nothing else, understand that you're dealing with human beings, you're dealing with people. Just because of their circumstances, because they're in jail, doesn't make them any less human, doesn't make that any less important. Always have that value set. So don't lie to them. You know, if you can do something for them that you can legally do by profession to do it, if you can't, tell them the truth. Um, that's how you, you build respect. They will respect you. Understand the environment that you're in. There are more of them than there are of you. So you have to have this mutual respect in the workplace. And you, and you establish that mutual respect by, like I say, letting them know that you value them as human beings, no matter what. That was huge for me as it carries over into the fire service. Because, again, all we do is deal with people. And you need to value individuals, everybody that you meet, because they're human just like you are. If for no other reason, you know, that's the, that's the baseline of, of the value set, right? Um, if for no other reasons, because we're all human. Yeah. And, and so I applied that throughout my career. So it's coming up in my career, I was a firefighter for um, 10, 11 years. Um, you know, several different fire departments, or excuse me, same fire department, City of Phoenix, but several different stations throughout that time. Um, I promoted out of Station 3, working with the Captain Manny Martinez, one of my favorite mentors out there out of all of them. Um, at about 11 years on the job, I become a captain. I transitioned from being a captain to um, through navigating the system, and uh, I was a captain for about 10 years on engines and ladders, and then... Um, I became a chief officer after that. So I had about, you know, some some 20 some odd years on before I promoted to the position of chief officer. And then um, again, you know, chief officer for 12, 13 years. Um, and I, uh, one thing I would say is, is every at every level, I've learned something, I've gained something and I've enjoyed every aspect of the job all the way through until I retired at the end. And I what I gained most was the interaction with different people who helped to plant different seeds on me to help me to have um, better understanding about policy and process, but better understanding about values, about how do we treat people, 
and to help me be a better leader throughout. Um, and there's so many good leaders in the fire service, so many good leaders. Um, I, I, I had the, the um, um, good fortune to bump into some, and you never know when you're going to bump into a leader um, or someone who's going to mentor you. In, in, and I'm not talking about formal mentorship. They might just be the person that says, hey, I need you to do this. And that might be at the fire station trying something you haven't done before, like be the kitty man. Oh, shit, okay, I've got to manage the kitty. What does that mean? And then understanding the value of that. It might be, hey, we're putting together a training program. I want you involved in that. Um, and then when you have those opportunities, you step up to those. And then you recognize by having opportunities that other people have afforded you, um, you need to pass that along to others along the way too. You know, you bring others along the way with yeah. you. It's, them it's interesting. You talk about the, the informal mentor, right? We are, we are all watching one another and, you know, it's a very simple, uh, philosophy or, or natural, uh, occurrence, I think. Right. And you have the ability to set a horrible example if you're not, you know, mindful of what you're doing. Yes, absolutely. And you, yeah, and that, and what's really sad is when that person, when you are a person of influence, and you set a horrible example for somebody, and now a younger firefighter comes along and goes, "Well, that's how I'm supposed to behave," and I've seen several recent examples of that. I won't go into details because it's horrifying, but we have, uh, you know, a way that we are supposed to manage ourselves, and when you are in a position of influence and leadership, you've got to respect the the power that you have in that position, and and uh, it's sometimes it's organizational power and sometimes it's just uh, it's behavioral power that's given to you by the group. Right. And man, you can really turn it, turn things for the positive or not. Absolutely. You know, I think, again, the fire service organization is all about that. It's about people will watch how you behave and how you perform. And um, and they will emulate that. At every chance, and and so we have those phrases, you know, in our in our professional standards guide or whatever whatever the application is called these days, PFD way, um, that talk about that, that talk about you know, um, be the person that you want others to be, um, that talk about if you condone it, you own it, um, and I take those things to heart, and and I tell I, I, I again I, I tell you I tell you this because I think these are things you have to replay to everybody, you know, just because somebody hears it once doesn't mean that that it it. it it sinks in, right. so you replay that to everybody, you replay it to yourself, and you're practicing these behaviors all the time, and and then at some point in time, just like when you're raising your kids, you're planting seeds all along the way, and, and you know, it might be three years down the road, might be five years down the road, somebody, you, you either see the change or you hear the change because they come back and say, I remember when you said this, or I remember watching you when you were, you were my boss and we did things this way, and, that, and therefore that's why I'm doing this. Keep in mind that goes both ways, right? Good and bad. You know? Right. Yeah, it goes both ways. Right. You have to be cognizant of that. Yeah. Well, what's interesting too is that sometimes we can be a little unforgiving, right? So we that we have to allow some room for maturity and growth. So you have someone you go who says, "Hey, I'm doing this because you did it," and you can turn and go, "Hey, man, uh, that was wrong." <laughs> <laughs> I've matured some yes. and now I'm reflecting back and you know, we, we have the expression that we banter around here. We call it captain 180, uh -huh. right? Somebody gets promoted and all of a sudden they're following the rules. Yeah. And the reality is that that person went through a process, an evolution, a personal evolution, whether it's they studied the volumes and the ARs and all this stuff for quite some time. And then they 
went before a board and exercised it. Then they went out and started acting out of class and started working in the position of leadership. And, and suddenly they get, they get their bugles pinned on them and everyone's like, oh, now you're Captain 180. Actually, the transformation took a long time. This slow 180-degree turn took some time. Um, And it's a really important uh, growth time. And what I think is that, you know, you mentioned how you spent, you know, a chunk of time, 11 years as a firefighter and then 10 years as a captain. Like, those, those periods of time are very, very important. And to to your individual growth growth and your 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 organizational maturity over time it's critical and so people are like Psh. well i remember we remember i remember you as a firefighter and you weren't like this as a firefighter and suddenly you're my boss um we have to we have to recognize that that's happening and it's a it's an important part of our personal and, and organizational growth it is huge because again we're one of those few organizations in the world that hires people for what we call life we hire people for, you know, to, we expect them to be around for 25 or 30 years right. from the day they walk in the door. And, and we expect that growth. Um, you know, it doesn't mean you're going to promote through a process, but you're going to have growth and maturity through a process because you're going to have different experiences. You're going to have different leadership experiences, different mentorship experiences, and, and, uh, and you're going to have different opportunities to, to, to lead and mentor back as well. But when you're thinking about, you know, again, in life, 30 some odd years, there's a lot of things that happen and a lot of things that change, a lot of changes that happen over that period of time. And, uh, and hopefully most of those are for the positive. But organizationally, we have to allow for that. We have to allow for people who have, you know, come in as one thing, uh, have one set of values or have practiced a certain set of behaviors or have uh, performed at a certain level to evolve to either, you know, to, to uh, evolve through their performance and behavior and aptitude throughout their whole entire career. Um, and most employees do that. They do that on their own. Other employees need some, some nudging, some, you know, some changing, some managing or whatever. But for the most part, most of us, our employees do that. I shouldn't say on their own. They do that as a process in the system because of the leadership that's afforded them, because of the, the, the managers that, are, that have afforded them that process. Right. Too. Well, I, I think, too, we come on this job fairly young. Some, some of us come on older and more mature, and some of us come on you know, young and immature. And so I think there's a natural, a very organic evolution that takes place from the time you are you know, 20 till the time you're you know 30 and those that that's a big change between 20 and 30 and so you know especially when you're on the streets working and you're you're out doing it and you're seeing these examples of how these older you know leaders uh and you know company officers etc and chief officers are the example that they're setting and here you are as a 20 something you're like oh okay i see how i'm supposed to behave it's being modeled for you hopefully appropriately and and you're in this period of time where your brain is still developing anyway. And so you, you make some mistakes, but you also begin to grow and, and, and change into that person. So I know it appears to be this rapid turnaround, but the reality is that people have been spending large chunks of time working their way toward those changes or through those changes. And, and positionally, you think about the expectation in each position that you are as a firefighter. And, and so in the fire service, you come on as a firefighter. And you have the expectation for you in terms of performance and behavior, not so much behavior, but performance is different than it is for you as a captain, is different than it is for you as a chief. And you have to learn how to be uh, proficient and efficient 
in that performance. So as a firefighter, you've, you're dealing with the tools, you have direct customer interaction, um, you know, whether that's pulling hose or other, those skill sets are, are you're, you're honing those skill sets so that you can be efficient at that skill. And that's where your vision needs to be. But, and then over time, as you start to think, okay, I want to go to the next level, or you've honed those skills, you're, you're recognizing that there is a next level, and that next level is that more that supervisory level, where, you, where you're actually taking a little bit of the, the tools out of the hands of the individual, um, the physical tools, and you're applying more of the philosophical tools, the managerial tools. So I always told my captains, you know, how I reflect on that, is a firefighter should have hoses and ladders and stuff in their hands. As a captain, if you have a hose in your hand or a pike pole in your hand, you're probably not doing what you're supposed to be doing as a captain because you're not in a position to, to, to visualize, to lead, to guide, to provide the safety net that you're, you, you are for your employees and to provide them with the guidance they need to accomplish the task and the goal. Yeah. As a chief officer, you should, you should be even, you know, you're stepping back even further now. Now you're stepping more into the managerial role, but you're also providing a, a, a broader base of f philosophical justification for why you're there, why we, were, we are there, we as a team, as part of that hub. And, uh, and you, have, you should have a wider vision, organizational vision, on what's important to the organization and what's important to the customer. And then, and then as you go up the ranks, that should broaden and broaden, continue to broaden as you, until you eventually, you know, get to the top and retire. So. Right. Yeah. There's a, the stakeholders continue to, you know, there's more and more stakeholders, more and more uh, organizational risk, more and more uh, uh, connection to the community, broader connections as you, the further up and out you go Absolutely. and your, you know, your view, your head kind of pokes up above the clouds and pretty soon you're seeing the whole, the horizon way out there. Um, the, the 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 baseline though uh, the baseline purpose the baseline value doesn't really change right that's the theme of our whole conversation I think I think that's absolutely the most important takeaway from this is that your core values and the core mission are are critical to what we're doing yeah, yeah. so let me ask you this as a uh, what was your and what was your favorite part of being a firefighter? The favorite part of being a firefighter. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry. <laughs> Let me back you up because you never answered the question. Um, and I don't know if I asked it, but <laughs> the question is what caused you to come to the fire service from your cushy job over at corrections? <laughs> okay. So that is part of the story. So here I am, I'm 18 years old and working as a detention officer. And I did that for two years, almost two years to the day. Um, but at the same time I'm doing that, I have, I have two brothers uh, that, that were in the fire service as well. And the brother that's a year older than me was the first one in the fire service. So his name's Rick. Rick. And so he was the first one. He's only a year older than me. And we move out at the same time out of our house and we move into a house. I'm working at the jail. He's working for the fire department. And I'm recognizing that, number one, working at the jail is not my long-term goal. I'm also recognizing that I don't want to be a police officer. I don't want to be a street cop. I ha that doesn't have value to me. So I'm looking across the table, and I, as I'm going to work six days a week, 12 hours a day at that point in time, which is a whole other story, um, my brother has, is going to work periodically, <laughs> which, which, you know, it's the equation of the 24 on, 48 off. Right. I would leave to go to work. He'd be home. I'd leave to come back to work. He'd be home, and then he'd disappear, and then he'd be home. And I'm thinking, hmm, what's that all about? Because, but for Rick, I had no idea about the concept of the fire service or, right. or what it was about. Right. So Rick was, was the one who um, planted the seed for me. 
in, in that ship. And, and, and we're talking about indirect, indirect mentorship. It wasn't like we had direct conversations about, hey, you should be a firefighter. I'm looking across the table and I'm saying, that's something that I think I can do. I need to ask more questions about it of him and find out why. Now, the why, the big why for me was, why did you want to be a firefighter, Rick? Well, what unbeknownst to me was, as we were growing up in our neighborhood, and um, there were several firefighters. Hmm. And there, and some of the people that that Rick and I grew up with, he's a year older than me, so you know I'm the li- I'm the little brother, so you don't hang out with the older brothers, um, Rick and Ron. And uh, but unbeknownst to is me, is Ron the oldest? Ron is the oldest of the of, of us three. Yeah. I have three older siblings that oh. are older than them as well. Um, and so, what I didn't realize was how many firefighters we knew indirectly, hmm. or Rick knew indirectly in, in particular. Um, you know, whether it was a, a, a girlfriend's parent or a brother or somebody along the way. Um, and so that I had no clue, but he did. Mm. So somebody was planting seeds with him about, right. you might want to do this. So you, you had said um, a minute ago that, that being in the jails, you knew it wasn't your long-term plan. Right. But did you have a vision for yourself at that age? No. No, I'm 18 years old. I'm going to junior college. Um, I'm just, you just knew that was, I, I just, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I, I stumbled into that job because my process at that age was to go to what I called all the major employers on a weekly basis. And in the city of Phoenix at that time, it was uh, the County, the state, it was the Arizona Republic. It was all the buildings that were downtown. <laughs> and I yeah. would go and I'd look at their, their they actually posted, um, uh, jobs on the board. There was no internet. There was none right. of that back then. Back in the yeah, day. This is, yeah, this is the 1980s, right? So this is 82, 83. And um, I would just look at what was posted on the board or in the paper, and I'd put in an application. And so I do that once a week or so as I'm going to school. And so one summer I do that, and um, I get a, a phone call after going up to Sedona for a long weekend, come home. I've got this phone call waiting for me. Hey, somebody called you, wants you to come in there and do an interview for a job. You put in for him. Like, uh, I remember. Do, which one was it? Which one was it? <laughs> so I go down and, and the, the long and short of it is I put in for, uh, I, I go down to the county, um, which is right where the main jail was at the time, downtown, downtown Phoenix. And, and I, I walk in and the guy starts talking to me about this job I put in for as a county detention officer. And I don't even know what a detention officer is because I'm just throwing applications in there. So on that day, I walk in. I have a, an interview, um, um, a little bit of you know, application process. I go home. I get a phone call. They ask me to come back that afternoon. I go back that afternoon. I have a second interview. Um, I get a physical. And the next day, I'm behind bars. Dang. And to this date, when I say I'm behind bars, there was a 40-hour training that they put you through. But it was actually in the jail environment, and uh, you did you know, multimedia standard first aid. Um, you know, put on, throw on SCBA once, you know, just to see what it's like in case they, you know, the, they set fires to the cots. Um, uh, one, you know, a few hours of, of, uh, of um, you know, how to protect yourself, and uh, the rest of it was just, you know, here's the jails, here's how the keys work, and all that kind of stuff. Long story short, to this day, I don't ever remember putting in an application for that job. <laughs> I do not remember putting an Maybe application. Maybe your brother did. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but here I am, 24 hours later. I'm I'm behind bars. I've got you know the the, the suit on. Um, the you know several couple of years. Uh, and but again, it was one of those moments that where I learned a lot. I learned a lot about people. I was young. Um, it was an experience that I that I remember to this day. Um, and then also I knew that it wasn't what I wanted to do. Yeah. In a long is, there, time is there any event in that two years that stood out to you as like a, 
just a hallmark event of that period of time in your life? It's hard to say because much like being a firefighter, you see some traumatic things. Mm -hmm. You see some emotionally traumatic things and some physically traumatic things. And so without going into detail, um, I, I will say this. What, you know, a couple of things that stood out to me was, again, this gets back to dealing with people, was having conversations with people who were on the other side of the bars that were philosophical, that made you think that you were just sitting there talking. Yeah, they're, you know, they're on the other side of the door or you're in the, you're in the, uh, the, the um, uh, what they call their pod room and you're just having conversations. And again, this is about learning and building respect and trust in an environment that isn't uh, uh, um, necessarily there for that. But it's interesting, you know, what people talk about and what they know um, in any environment that you're in. So um, I remember having conversations about a guy who's, you know, in jail, been in jail, for, in and out of jail for years. And he's from Tennessee and he talks about the beautiful country back in Tennessee, where his homeland and where he wants to go back to having conversations about, again, about just the philosophy of people, um, dealing with people, uh, you know, how, how to treat people with inmates, you know, that type of stuff. And, uh, and then the other thing, you know, sadly, I, I, you know, I ran into some people that I knew. They knew me. And that was always an awkward moment. But it was only as awkward as, as any individual makes it, right. you know, because, again, I valued them as human beings. They valued me as human beings. And um, that was the, the, the baseline uh, um, set of values that we had in that environment. So, hmm. yeah. Yeah, that would that would be hard. That's a that's quite the transition as a young man to go in there and and have to deal with uh, folks who are in a pretty tough spot. Yeah. You know, they're in that they're being incarcerated for you know an event that transpired, whether they are guilty or not. But they're at this low point in life, and you know that's a that's a horrible place to be well and again you establish that ability to have empathy for people without judging them right and that was again a good uh, yeah. baseline set of values for me to carry over that carries over to the fire department um you know because we're going to run across all different types of customers and, and all different types of environments and um, we're not there to um, um you know criticize that or or, or look at people in, in a negative light we're just there to provide the assistance that we can um, recognizing that they called us for help, you know. Right. So, yeah. So, so you were jealous of Rick's schedule. I was jealous of Rick's <laughs> schedule. I was, I was looking at that, and I'm thinking, what the heck? How do I do that? So um, it took three years, three years of testing, which is, is really close to the norm. Yeah. Um, and, and I say that because I was, you know, a RTO. I was a, a, a chief, at, uh, a division chief at the training academy, um, we'll get into some other details of, of process and everything else with regards to hiring that I've, I've been involved in, but, uh, um, on the average about three years. And, yeah. and, and again, I talk about light bulb moments. So the first two years I was working at the jail and I'm just kind of, eh, whatever. And then right at the end, at, at the end of the second year, when I said, I know I don't want to do this is when I got serious about, I want to do that, which was the fire department. And once I got serious about it and I started putting in um, um, the time and the effort, you know, a little bit of networking, um, uh, you know, uh, um, doing the research that you can do. Again, there's no computers or anything at that time about the organization is when um, it, it clicked for me. You know, this is what I want to do. And that's the year I got hired. No, that's cool. Yeah. That. Um, oh, so hold on. So the year well, it was three years from that that two year period. 
or so it was it, part of that? It, part of that two-year period. Okay. It was three years total. Okay, so yeah. three years total. Yeah. yeah. So you were, what, 22? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Good age. Yeah. But, you know, even at 22, and, and again, you know, everyone comes into the fire service with a different aptitude, a uh, different set of experiences based on whether you're, you're young, old, and, and all that type of stuff. Um, I, and, I, and I say this openly. I said, you know, it, it took the first five years of being on the job before I really, really realized what I had. You know, it was getting up, going to work every day. This is a great place to work. I'm having a good time. I'm learning firefighter skills. But big picture, what do I really have here? I have a career. I have a profession. Um, you know, this is, this is, this is that. I'm going to be doing this for 25 or 30 years. I have opportunity, opportunity for promotion. I was a hazmat tech, you know, as well as being a captain, you know, ladders and engine companies. I had experiences, in, you know, in, in several different positions, you know, at several different levels, whether that's being an RTO, being a, a fit, um, you know, managing various areas as chief officers, whether that's fire prevention or, Homeland Defense or fire investigations or operations as a shift commander or a district commander. I've, I've done a variety of things and of course, yeah. you know, a lot of time in HR as well. That's, that's one of the, that is one of the things that I repeatedly look back on and over the course of my career and that I value in what we do is this opportunity to do a variety, such a wide variety of things. If you're willing to put yourself out there yes. and, and willing to, you know, Put your hand up. Yeah, I'll, hey, I'll, I'll take that on. I'll try that out. I'll, I'll, you know, put myself out there. So, but, but I think opportunities like that favor the prepared. So, well, let me ask you this: How do you think, you know, you, you, how would you recommend somebody coming up would prepare themselves to be available for these opportunities? Um, I know some of it's just time and service, right? Oh yeah, you yeah. you got to mark time. You got to put your time in. But, but beyond that, there's lots of things people can do, I think. So some of it is time and service, but some of it is, is, is what we've, we've really been discussing here is, is surround yourself with good people or, you know, or at least take the opportunities that you have when you're around good people, good leaders, good mentors, people that have navigated the system themselves and, and, and have conversations with them. Have conversations about, you know, what is if I want to be a paramedic, what do I need to be doing? Um, what do I need to be doing academically? What classes should I be taking? What can I be doing you know, while I'm a firefighter and as an EMT on the fire truck, whether that's on ambulances or, or, or rescues, we call them, or you know, we're in the backseat or whatever. What can I be doing to learn about being a paramedic? What can I be doing to learn the job of an engineer? And can I start practicing that in that environment with a good mentor? And if you don't have a good mentor, then you start reaching out. Look for good mentors because there's plenty of them out there. There's plenty of people that they don't even they don't think of themselves as mentors, but you can see that they are they have good practices uh, 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 in the position that they're in. You know, they're good engineers. Whether that's their driving behavior, the way that they manage the, the apparatus and the truck, um, you know, all those skill sets that go along with being a, an engineer or being a paramedic or being a captain. So look for those things. Um, the other thing is, like you said, is just look, take opportunities to get involved. Um, and when I say that, you know, we have different processes within the fire department, whether that's, you know, our, our RBO labor management processes, um, um, uh, whether that's training or other. But you'll see different uh, things posted in, in the newsletter, the buck slip, and take, it, take those opportunities to get yourself involved. You know, not just promotions, but others. Um, and so I think involvement is critical. The, the, I, I've, I've had, you know, captains tell me, you know, if you're in the room, be an active participant. Don't be afraid to raise your hand and ask a question. Don't be afraid to volunteer your service uh, when they need somebody to be part of a committee or a work group. Um, 
that's one of the things that I, I look back at and, and I um, one of my favorite quotes and philosophies, and I have a bunch of them, I actually got two pieces of paper here that are all about that. Nothing about anything else, but just th- things that help stimulate me philosophically. And and one of my you know one of my favorites was everything I am I owe, and so I, I look at that and I think about the opportunities that were afforded me, and then how can I afford opportunities to others? But the opportunities that were afforded to me again indirectly, things like you know, being being uh, um, um, asked to put together you know an, an ethics class for the fire department when you're a firefighter. Uh, thank you, Chief Gary Morris, for that. Being asked <laughs> to participate in interview processes and do mock interviews. Um, just, just little things that you, you don't think much about, but for me really help, help me be more involved organizationally than just being on the fire truck and having a better understanding and better picture of the organization. And I'm not saying these opportunities are going to fall into anybody else's lap all the time, but those types of opportunities when you're asked to do something or, or you're, you're watching from the outside and you say, I'd like to do that. Sometimes you have to go ask if you permission to, to, to participate. They're out there. And that's, you should, you know, make yourself available. Yeah, that's a really interesting. I had someone share with me a long time ago. Um, they said, "Hey, find somebody who's working on projects and ask them to help, and just go lend your services." Yes. And there's plenty of people out there if you pay attention who are working. They've got you know 16 balls that they're juggling in the air. Yes, and and they will gladly say, "Here's one." And you, you know personal story, I went and I said, I got that piece of advice and I said, Oh, okay, well, gosh, the, what is something? Well, who's, who's somebody out here who's, who's doing things that I might be interested in. And I went and grabbed Amos Chalmers yep. and he, he was uh, at the command training center at the time. And he's puts, he takes one of the balls out of his, you know, out of the air uh-huh. and hands me uh, a grant and says, I need you to go read this grant and read on it and then write, write an application of the grant. And I'm like, raise my hand. Uh, time out. Uh, I don't know anything about grant writing. Right. And he's like, can you write? And I go, yes. And he goes, figure it out. Okay, I'll be back with questions. Yes. <laughs> and and it was an opportunity to to learn and grow. And then and by virtue of me taking that off his plate, I'm building trust, right? Because now we're establishing a relationship. And this goes right back to what you talked about in the beginning, which is it's about human beings. Yes. So me going and saying, hey, can I help you with this? Now we're having this this these constant conversations about the project and um, I'm learning and we're building a relationship um, together and uh, and then the grant was successful, which added a feather, <laughs> it added a boon to it because it had been unsuccessful, it would, you know, anyway, yes. whatever. So it was good. It was a really good outcome and, and it helped me understand how important it is to engage like you you yourself you can't just sit in the corner and go well gosh i i wish my career would be really good and wish something cool would happen you actually have some opportunity to to engage and make something happen um and i was not in a promotional process at the time it was kind of leading up to it and 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 i you know there's so much chatter about well i don't want to go and i'm not going to go and try and hobnob with people um and take people out to lunch and do all that stuff and I began to realize that that is not what it is. It's about building relationships and, you know, going and sitting and having a conversation with somebody and saying, Hey, I, I've been thinking about this philosophy or this topic. Can we talk about that? And then you have a conversation and now you've actually started to build a relationship with somebody. That's how you, how you learn and grow and get opportunities is by putting yourself out there. Absolutely. So you talk about the, you know, when the light bulbs come on, somebody's planting seeds. But when you understand that it, it's, it's everything you said, it's about communication and collaboration, right? Mm. We deal with people. 
and we, we need to be able to communicate along those lines and we need to be able to collaborate, collaborate along those lines. If you take um, you as an individual, if you're motivated, you can create opportunities that involve you know you communicating and somebody communicating with you. It's a two-way process and collaborating with that individual or that, and it's not just necessarily an individual, you know, a program or a network or whatever that is, individual, and create opportunities for yourself through that. Uh, and, and, and that's just that. I mean, that's part of the systematic process of working in an organization, right? You've got to reach out. You've got to connect. You've got to uh, allow for others to reach back to you. And you've got to communicate um, and willfully communicate. And then you've got to create uh, opportunities to collaborate. And then, obviously, then you've got to perform when it's an opportunity to perform. But, um, you know, when those light bulbs come on and you, and you, you volunteer that yourself, you know, and uh, you will see yourself moving through the system, navigating different aspects of the system and, and gaining value, um, personal value, but also being more valuable within the organization. Right. Yeah. yeah. Had I not been given that piece of advice and gone and talked to Amos and who I had a bit of a relationship with and, and kind of cracked that door open further, I never would have figured out that, hey, that grants are not super scary. They're a little bit scary, but they're not super scary, right? And there's a there's value for the organization there. There's value that I gained, um, a tremendous value that I gained personally by participating in that. And, um, yeah, that's a... Uh, it's it's important to you know you hear salesmen talk about all the time right make the ask make the ask right <laughs> you got to make the ask make so the you know don't be afraid to approach people in your organization and say hey i i really want to be involved i see that you have a lot of projects can i do a small part of your project what can i do to support you and support the folks that are doing the good work in the organization one of the beauties of, of i'm going to i'm going to praise the phoenix fire department is the labor management relationship which is, you know, uh, which develop processes um, which are part of the RBO process and, and have committees and subcommittees and, and work groups and stuff like that. And, and, and I'll just say for those who are uninitiated, the RBO is relationship by objective. Yes, exactly. And so that process expands um, opportunity for individuals um, to, to, to participate either as, as either representing labor or representing management, but there are opportunities that are going to come out via the, the RBO process that say we need to facilitate uh, uh, um, and do some research with regards to, um, I don't know, customer service or safety or apparatus or, or buildings or any, anything that, that, the fire, that involves um, the organization that is the fire department. And, and then we need people to participate and do research or participate and, and you know, whatever that is with regards to that process, that work group. Um, and then... But what I'm getting to is, is that just adds, that opens up the field for people to get involved. And it's advertised. It's not a closed system. Right. It's, it's actually an open system. Yeah. And, and it will take all comers. It will take all volunteers. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think for, um, for firefighters, it, certainly within the City of Phoenix organization, but across other organizations, look and see and, and within your organization what the opportunities are and where there are opportunities for you to participate and then take a risk, do an ask, you know, because it will give you a whole different vantage point on the organization, gives you a different perspective. It, it helps to motivate you. It gets you out of the straddle lounger. Um, you know, you look up and start thinking, you know, there's more to life than this. Not that, not that being, you know, a, a firefighter in a fire station isn't like, you know, almost the peak of, of existence because it is. It's very valuable. It's one of the best places to be, one of the best positions to be in. Um, but there's more to it. 
Right. Yeah. Well, I would add, if you are sitting in the station and you're saying, man, I wish this or I wish that, I wish the organization would buy these turnouts or do this or, or build stations this way. Well, if you are, if you have an organization that allows, that has RBO in place, you have a voice yes. and you can show up. And if you, if you uh, build relationships and present yourself appropriately, you can influence the system Absolutely. and you can have an influence on what turnouts you're wearing and what tools you have on the truck, et cetera, on, 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 the list goes on. Yep. And, um, and then the other added beauty of that is you're learning how the organization works and you're learning how vendors work and this procurement process and all these other, you know, kind of collateral pieces of the admin that nobody wants to talk about, but you're learning how those things work. So should you be, um, you have the opportunity to have influence as a firefighter. And if you want to promote, you're learning how the system works as well so that you understand the big picture. And so you can speak to it, which is really, really important. It's huge because you're adding to your, your, your skills as a leader because you can lead at all levels and you're adding to your skills as a, as a manager. You yeah, talk about the, you know, the, the tandem component of that because yeah. you're going to understand process better. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't give you a chance to answer. Um, so I'll take you back there. What the favorite, your favorite part of being a fireman. My favorite part of being a fireman was, was, <laughs> it's going to sound cliche, <laughs> Firefighting. <laughs> and, and I mean that from from a performance component. The physical act. The physical act. Yeah. And, and I say that because, I, I you know, I, I grew up as an athlete, um, you know, and, and a pretty high-performing athlete. I'm small in stature, so I'm not a big guy. I was never going to be a professional athlete in any category except for maybe powerlifting, which they, there was no professional powerlifting back in my day. So um, we're not going to get into the depth of that, but... Um, you don't want to throw your deadlift totals on the yeah, table. I don't want to put up my <laughs> records, right? Um, well, I, I got a few trophies in the car, but I don't, I don't want to put those out there right now. Long story short, but the, the actual aspect of doing the job of firefighting, um, you know, uh, and, uh, honing my skills, um, you know, and it's the whole thing. It's not just, oh, I can pull a hose off a truck or I can throw a ladder, but having the, the broader vision of, okay, why am I doing this? What is the purpose? And am I aligning my purpose, my drive, my motivation with the organizational purpose, which again, you know, we go in there for a reason, right? You know, we, we talk about save saveable lives, um, save, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, saveable property, that type of stuff. And so having, a, as I learned that I was doing something not just to do it, but there was a purpose behind why I was doing it, and there was a way to do it prof uh, uh, proficiently and professionally, and a way to have the best impact. I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that aspect of performance, performing that way as a firefighter. So, so how hard was it for you to transition from firefighter to company officer? Because um, that physical aspect of the job oh, yeah. totally changes, right? Ab absolutely. And, and, and I would say not real difficult. Um, and I say that because, again, good mentorship, good leadership. Um, I, I worked under some good captains. And, and everybody has a take on who they think a good captain is. You know, I'll throw out names and people look at you and go, really? Seriously? But, okay. uh, but yeah. And, and so, um, but, but you learn the good and bad from people, right? And, 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 the, and there were some aspects of pretty much people that I worked with, uh, you know, uh, uh, Manny Martinez, uh, uh, Terry DeMar, uh, Terry Geethy. I mean, I can throw out some names that I was always able to pick out the, the best part of, of what that person was trying to, to do uh, you know, in terms of being in line with the job and the profession. You know, that skill set of, you know, quick and efficient, um, um, you know, either how they manage people or how they manage process. But I was always trying to gain that from them. And so that when I transitioned over, I had, you know, uh, um, 
uh, a baseline of, okay, we need, I need to make sure that I'm at least proficient and capable of doing these things from a performance level, and I need to act a certain way from a behavioral level, and then I need to be, one of the things that I learned the most from a leadership level was be a good listener and learn how to listen, not just listen, but how to hear. Because, and, and, and I say that because I had to make sure that we, we were in an environment where you have to trust each other and you have to trust that people are going to do what, that they know what to do and how to do it. And if they don't, that they're malleable enough that you're going to be able to lead them and guide them to correct those, the, the minor things that you need to, that you need to, hopefully minor things that you need to correct so that they're going to be able to do what they're supposed to do and how to do it, right? Um, and so I had good mentors that way. Um, it, whether they knew they were mentoring me or not. Um, so it wasn't a huge transition. Um, I think the hardest thing for like any captain is, is, is being a young captain in an environment where a lot of your, your peers and a lot of the people that you're supervising are older than you and maybe have more experience than you. But it doesn't necessarily, but, but there you are. You took the chance. You took the risk. You did the ask. You promoted through the process where maybe they didn't at the time. And so here you are in a leadership position over people who are pretty much your equals. So, so how do you approach leading folks that have a lot of fuzz on you? You know, I, I, I you know, again, this evolves over time. I was always one of those people that says, let's have the conversation about, you know, what do you know? Uh, and I say that from the perspective of, okay, so, you know, what do you guys normally do today? You know, um, uh, you know, how, how do you work this out? Um, what's your what's your daily process? We've got this on the activity counter. What do you like to do? Blah blah blah. And then if I'm hearing the right things, if I'm hearing, okay, well, you know, if and and I, so I'm, there's hearing and there's seeing, right? If I'm hearing the right things and I'm seeing the right behaviors, right? If I'm seeing that they're checking out the apparatus, if I'm hearing that, you know, we're gonna, you know, we typically do this, 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 and this. Or I ask, you know, the other important question is, hey, have you had any fire lately? How did that go? What did you do? If you're hearing and seeing the right things when you're asking questions, then you reinforce that. And sometimes that reinforcement is, okay, that's, that's great. That's how we're going to operate today because now you're, you're making them think it's them, not you. If you're not hearing the right things, then there has to be that redirection and that correction. Okay, but today we need to do this. I need you to do this today. I need you, we have to make sure that we're functioning this way. And it's okay if you get pushback, but the, the only time you have, I have ever had an issue was when I didn't say something when I didn't tell somebody that I need this or, or I didn't acknowledge that we're all on the same page. So I always tried to find that right balance of, you know, what do you do? What do you know? What are your expectations? You know, how, how do you function on a regular basis with what do I need to hear from you? What do I do? What do I know? What expectations do I, expectations do I need to make sure that you understand and have and either reinforcing it or redirecting it or sometimes uh, sometimes in, 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 a, in a rare case, it's actually, you know, okay, well, the actual, the big N word, the no word is saying, no, we're not going to do that while I'm here. And and not being afraid to, to say that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, if there's a balance that you have to strike and, you know, allowing the senior, the senior man to be a senior man and to provide, you know, leadership from their perspective and, and to provide, um, some direction to the day, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's important if they're headed in the right path, if they're staying inside the appropriate boundaries, you know, of what's expected, 
think that's a uh, it's important that we uh, as a company officer, your ego isn't so fragile that you don't allow for that, right? You need to enable your people to do mm. the things that they're, they've been taught to do from day one. I mean, that's the beauty of this profession. We all have really the same set of, of organizational values, the same level of, of performance expectation, everything from day one. So nobody can come in, at, you know, if you walk into a station, you, there shouldn't be anybody that, that, that can come in and say, I've never heard that before. Or I don't know how to do that. They may not know how to do it specifically the way you want to do it because you want to do you know, triple layer load or whatever, and they've never done that. But they know that at a, at a base level, they know how to put up ladders, they know how to pull hose, they know how to squirt water, all that kind of stuff. So that's the fortunate side of the, of the organization. They also know that the baseline set of values, you know, prevent harm, survive, be nice, however, however you want to categorize that. Um, baseline set of, you know, what professionalism they may usually it's on the value side and the behavioral side where they usually straddle the fence a little bit more and maybe want to nudge against, but they understand it. They know it. They can't say that they, that they're completely ignorant to it. And if you catch somebody doing that, it's easy, it's easy to check them on that. Right. No, I think it's important that we, you know, you mentioned this earlier, but that these values, we, we can't just assume that everybody is mindful of what's expected every day because people lose sight of it sometimes if they haven't heard it in a while um, there has to be some gentle nudging and reminders of, of what our purpose is and what our mission is and what our values are and you know you don't sit you don't have to sit everyone down at the kitchen table every morning and go okay remember you know these are our core values no you don't have to do that it's much more subtle and, and deliberate and you have to be more thoughtful about how you do that but I think you know you talked about the um, assessing kind of where people are at. And I think that's part of trust building. Yes. And, you know, I think the, the, the thing about trust, I think is so important is there's so many times when we go into a firefight and as a company officer, I do not have direct contact with my people. So I have to trust that they are where they're, where they're supposed to be doing the job they're supposed to be doing. And the, how do you establish, how do you build that trust? Well, it's through training and setting of expectations and, and, and paying attention to your folks and seeing what they do. And then, providing boundaries and, and, you know, expectations again. And that's how you build trust, right? There's a, there's that relationship has to be there. You talked about the transition from firefighter to captain. And, and again, probably the biggest transition is verbalizing the communication mm-hmm. set of the skill, communication to establish the collaboration, right? So that you, you are talking to people. Um, and again, you're not talking down at people. You're talking to, to people because you need to know, what you need you need to know the who and the what of what they're doing why they're doing it how they're going to do it and if you don't ask questions um you're not going to get any answers and so from for a, a company officer again their biggest tool is is their mouth you know i say if, if you've got a hose in your hand you're out of position you should have a radio in your hand you should have a clipboard in your hand you should be having conversations at the dinner table you should be having conversations from the time you walk in the door with people and they're very generalized conversations but really what you're doing is you're, 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 you're always assessing, you know, right. what's going on. How is, how are people doing that day? You know, somebody is, is somebody having a bad day? Um, you know, is, is, you know, as you're, as you're checking out the truck, you're, you're setting the example, but as you're checking out the truck are other people checking out the truck and can you talk to them about what they're doing and what's going on? You know, have those conversations. And cause if you're not, you're missing the boat. You'll never be a good company officer or a good chief officer if you don't learn how to, again, use your voice, ask questions, be a good listener, all those types of things, because that's your skill set. That's your tool. 
Yeah. What about the uh, the transition from company officer to chief? What what do you see as the the latent challenges there? I think the biggest challenges um, is again learning how to manage and what it means to be a manager. Um, fortunately, in, in in the fire department, we have a lot of good leadership, um, a lot of good application of leadership, and we discuss it and talk about it a lot. I think I think we do. Maybe we don't, and maybe not. And, and I can't say uh, there's never enough. It's an ongoing process. But we don't always uh, um, discuss or talk about how to manage um, process or procedure or policy. Um, and, and so the how, right? Um, and the how, on a, you know, okay, if you're a fire captain, you're pulling hose, blah, 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 blah. But when you become a chief officer, you start, you're not pulling hose. You're not, you know, directly involved with the, the individuals doing the, the work for Mrs. Smith. But you are going to be assigned um, different processes that you need to manage. And you are going to have to have an understanding of how to manage those processes and, and, and what drives that, the policies, procedures, and the rules. So um, it's not to change a person from being um, relational in terms of their leadership to transactional, but you have to have a balance of what that means. So um, you really kind of, if my opinion, you kind of need to get back in the books a little bit, you know, get back into the volume a little bit more. Uh, the volumes, I say, the guidelines, the SOPs, and the rules. You need to have more conversations about, you know, how do I facilitate um, whether it's a, a program or um, or a change in a in a in a in a, in a, in a uh, of application to a process? How do you do it? Um, and and you don't get a lot of that. You know, we always talk about you become a chief officer and you're replacing somebody, and, and what you find on the desk is a, a box, and, and, and you know, and, you know, you don't have a lot of you know forewarning or for conversations about what's in that box or what the other person was doing, but you're just supposed to step into a role and all of a sudden just pick it up and go. And I think uh, that's probably the most difficult thing is there's no training or not enough training on okay, you need to think about command and control, you need to be think about compliance, you need to think about cost. Those are my three C's for for a manager that are applicable to a supervisor, but they take on a different role of importance and, and aptitude for a manager, for a chief officer. Um, and so, um, and again, those aren't, those, aren't, those aren't my acronyms. Those are somebody else's that I learned over time that, that helped me to understand, okay, uh, for any given process or procedure or thing that I need to apply, you know, how do I, how do I make sure I'm, I'm hitting all my boxes or all the command and control elements? What are the compliance elements, if any? And then what are the costs? And costs aren't always dollars and cents. We're talking about risk, uh, all those, those types of things, yeah. you know, organizational costs, that type of stuff or lack of. Um, but if I hit, hit, hit all those check boxes, I'm usually in, in a good place and I'm usually doing a good thing and I'm usually managing whatever that process is that, uh, um, uh, in, in a proficient and applicable way. Makes it sound very, very scary. <laughs> the transition, I feel like that, but I think that, you know, I say that in jest, you know, as a, a young chief officer, um, I, you know, I took that plunge and here I am. And I recognize that there's a lot of things that I know and don't know. And, and I think that the, that you, you make that transition when you're ready. And, you know, even though it's scary, you know, you reach a point in your, your maturation where you're, you're able to start thinking about the, uh, 
the organization through a different lens. Yeah. And that lens, you know, kind of changes as you grow up and the, the prescription changes, right? Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> and so your your ability to see things for from a different perspective is uh, evolves and is really important. And even though I look at it and go, man, there's so m-, The fact that I can say there's a lot that I don't understand, I have work to do, right? That's part of being able to, to step into that role and and work through it yes. and be successful is being willing to do the work, but first recognizing that there's work to do. Um, the big, one of the, the, one of the many big things about that transition to chief officer is the, the issues or the problems, um, ideas, ideals that people bring you are different. And that's why I, I say you have to be able to apply some process to able to manage through those issues, ideals, or ideals. Um, because they're not the typical, you know, fire response, EMS response. Right. You know, customer service at the lowest level response. Right. Yeah. That's, it's interesting. As a firefighter or as a company officer riding on a truck, what I love about that part of the job is you come in. You have some thoughts about what your day is going to entail, some training, some chow, some PT, and the light bar goes off. You go, you solve a problem, you wrap, put a, put a bow on it, send the person to the hospital, put the fire out, whatever the problem may be, boom, you're back at the firehouse. Yep. Okay, where was I? Cold plate of food. <laughs> put that in the microwave, <laughs> let's start over, right? Like, yeah. And you just, there's a, there's a, 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 an irregular regularity to it, yes. which is a regular irregularity, however you want to say it. Yes. Anyway. I love that part. And what's interesting about when when you get into staff, now you're supporting in a different way. Like these projects take time. Yeah. And so you'll be working on something that's months and months and months long. And that is a very different feeling. And it's a very different pace. And, um, you know, people that will call and say, all right, hey, I need this. And I'm like, well, is that, is that an emergency? Like, Let's pump the brakes for a second. Let's think through the the seas. Yeah. Let's think through what are what are the consequences of us acting, and if we move too quickly. And for me, that's one of the I think the the the, fir- the lesson that I'm learning. The, one of the first lessons I've learned as a as a chief officer is slow down. You have discretionary time. Yes, use it to your advantage. Yeah. There's not a, you know there is no light bar quote unquote. I've heard that several times. Yeah. There's no light bar. Yep. So stop. Take a deep breath organize orient and then act absolutely that's <laughs> a it's a, and it's interesting because i'm so as a, as a firefighter i think one of the things we struggle with is we're so used to respond go 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 make a decision act go now um that can get you into deeper water if you're not careful yeah absolutely no well we've been going for quite some time um why don't why don't you share a few of the things that you have on your the your philosophies just a few so one of the, i had a a poster of this framed and I had it in every office that I had from the time I was a division chief all the way through an AC. And it was a poster that I had actually had from my house that I bought and was in my kid's room. Does it involve a cat hanging from a stick? It, it, it does not. <laughs> but it is it is basically Robert Fulgham and his the title of his book is All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And he's got these Things I learned in kindergarten, and he's got these 16 steps that he learned in kindergarten that were always applicable no matter where you are, what level you are, because they're about people. They're about how we treat each other. And um, you can look it up. It's easy to find. 
Um, you don't have to read the entire book. You can just look at the 16 steps. Um, I'll give a few examples. Um, share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. You know, clean up your own mess. Uh, don't take things that are, aren't yours. Say sorry when you hurt somebody. Um, wash your hands before you eat. Flush. <laughs> uh, some of them are, 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 you know, warm cookies and milk are good for you. You know, yeah. warm cookies and cold Can milk. Can I are get good an amen? <laughs> but live a balanced life. Learn some, drink some, draw some, paint some, and sing and dance and play and work every day some. And we'll talk about balance before we leave because that's a huge thing for me. Um, some of the other ones here, um, goldfish and hamsters and white mice, even the little seed in the styrofoam cup, they all die and so do we. Mm. Um, you know, put some things in perspective. And then uh, and the last one here on number 16 is, and remember in the Dick and Jane books, the first word you learned, and this, which is the biggest word of all, is look. Um, and And so... Look is is an application of of processing, you know, time and patience and awareness. You know, make sure you look first. It's like listen. You know, take a little time to listen. Take a little time to look. I always use the look when I, you know my firefighter gets off a truck and I say, before you grab that hose and start running, look. Yeah. You know, and so it gives you, you know, it's a pause moment. Analyze. Look before you cross the street. Look both ways. I mean, you know, simplistic things. But all of this was really critical for me because I like to keep things simple. I like to keep things, in, you know, in a, in a format that's just easy to apply. And so that was something that I've taken with me throughout my entire life uh, as, a, as a chief officer and even a company officer. I always put this old ratty-ass, uh, pardon my language, uh, um, um, picture up on the wall. And it was just that. It was those 16 things. You know what I like about that the best is that it doesn't overcomplicate it, no. right? We we learn these fundamentals as children, and they still have a profound impact in our lives as adults. Um, or at least they should. We should continue to apply those things as adults. You know, the other, the other document I brought in, and again, I'm not going to go through all these, but these are in inspirational quotes and leadership quotes and stuff, and, and there's so many of them. Everybody can come up with thousands. So none of these are, 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 are personal to me, um, with the except, exception of maybe one or two. Um, but, you know, I have the all, uh, all I really need to know I learned in kindergarten, but um, I also have some other ones that um, all that I ever am or I hope to owe or, or I hope to be, I owe. That's Abraham Lincoln. And so that transitions to everything I owe, I am. Mm. Uh, or everything I, excuse me, everything I am, I owe. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. So, um, and that's huge to me because that, that allows you to reflect back on and give others credit. When we talk about leadership and servant leadership. Nobody gets here alone. We're, we're always, you know, we're mimicking something and mimicking, you know, something or somebody throughout life. Um, it doesn't mean that you don't have an initial thought, you know, or everything else. But for the most part, when you try to try to, you know, uh, apply things, you're actually pulling from other things that you've learned. There's, you know, so much philosophy and wisdom out there. And then you simplify it back down and it gets back to some of the, some of it is really basic. You know, how we treat people, how, how we should be treating people. Um, all of that stuff is usually pretty basic. But, but that one is really huge for me because, again, I like to give credit back to others. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not the original on anything. Um, everybody, everything that I think or have thought about probably came from my interaction or, uh, or an interaction with somebody else that's established my baseline set of values. Um, just a couple others. Be like water. Mm. Bruce Lee. <laughs> yeah. Um, and again, you know, whether that's the actual quote or not is always up for uh, uh, um, debate. But 
that one for me is huge. I've used it before because it, it's the application of being flexible and understanding that water is one of the most flexible things out there. It can take any form of any shape of any container. It can be hard. It can be soft. It's life-giving. It's refreshing. It's cleansing. Um, it can be cold or warm. It can, be, it can, it can take multiple shapes and as a solid, a liquid, or gas. Um, so when you think about what be like water means, it means it just be malleable. Uh, understand that you don't always have to be a hammer, um, but you also don't always have to be, you know, soft and cushy. You need to understand the situation that you're applying it to, and and uh, and then use, you know, use that application when it's necessary. Yeah, and water can be a powerful force for change. It can be. Just it is one of the most powerful yeah, forces. Look for at change. the Grand Canyon. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, there there's the ones that are right out of the PFD way. Don't disqualify the customer with your qualifications. Obviously, be nice. Um, the one that, that, that I think the PFD way adapted, but it's Maya Angelou, an American poet. I, she says that I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Mm. And that's huge, especially in an environment like, like a fire department environment where we're all about people. Um, we talk about, you know, then don't disqualify people with your qualifications, but you know, we're going to get there on an incident or this is internal and external customer service. We're not always going to be able to fix the problem. We're going to do the best we can. But, but in doing so, you also have to be uh, uh, um, 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 understanding of and have empathy for people and make sure that, because that's what they're going to remember. You know, you go to the house and, and, and you're treating somebody's family member and it doesn't always go great. But, but how did you converse with them? How did you treat them? You know? yeah. How did you handle the situation? And same thing in a fire station, you know, I throw my HR hat, my HR background. Um, and, and when it comes to discipline, discipline is, is never fun. It's only applicable when it needs to be applicable and that's the way it should be. But um, we're always dealing with people. And that's what I learned in jail, you know. Um, you know, and so, you know, have that empathy and, and, and understand that, you know, you, just because uh, somebody's having a bad day or they're not, uh, they're not um, performing in a certain manner or their behavior is off, doesn't make them any less of a person. You just need to apply the, the appropriate process and the appropriate attitude towards it um, and, the, and, and the professional behavior as a leader towards that situation, um, and, and understanding that um, in the end, um, what you're going to be left with is, is hopefully you know, a human being you know, in the end. So... Uh, those are just a few of those things. I, you know, I just I throw quotes out there all the time, just because. And there's some that I carry with me in my back pocket wherever I go. Um, you know, we talk about balance, and uh, and we we started this conversation on a uh, pretty much about balance, and and um and my philosophy on balance has always been that balance is one of the most important things of life, and we should always strive for balance. So then you have to define what is balance, and I always say balance is is sixty forty, at best. You know, and, and when I say that, you know, sometimes if you're in a relationship between you and your spouse or a relationship between you and your firefighters or whatever, it's how do you balance out, you know, the environment. Um, when I say 60-40, it's because rarely is balance 50-50. I've never been in a 50-50 environment where everything was shared equally. Everything was applicable equally. Sometimes it sometimes you're going to have, you know, you're going to apply 60% of your effort at work and 40% at home. Sometimes it's 60% at home and 40% at work. And that's okay because that, that pendulum swings back and forth. When I talk to people about balance and trying to create balance is recognizing when you're outside of those boundaries. When things are, you know, 70, 30, you can survive that in that environment for a period of time. Let's say you're studying for the captain's process. 
you're studying, you know, you're in the paramedic program. It's a defined period of time. It's six months. It's so many weeks or whatever that is. And you can survive that, that unequitable balance and you can communicate that and say, okay, you know, I'm only doing this until here. And then you, and then you pull it back in, right, to get that 60, 40, 55, 45. When, when I see people that are out on the 80-20 limb, that's dangerous. Yeah. So, something is, is askew, typically. Those are red flag moments. Yeah. And, and, and there's, especially if there's no defined limit, you know, where you can say, I'm only doing this for this period of time. Um, and, and I always tell people, strive to bring it back in. Strive to create that balance. Um, because you know, it's a lifelong process. It's like relationships always are, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah I think that's uh, really valuable information and a valuable uh, thought process to uh, take away with us. Because as we're the process of seeking balance, and and uh, we, you know we talk about a relationship, if you're with uh, you know, the communication component of that, and and looking for boundaries and setting boundaries with your partner and with each other and with work, and uh, you know the. The organization will, you know, any organization that you work for, if you just give 100% of your life, they will take 100% of your life. It will, so you it will have, eat you alive. Yes, it yeah, will. So you have to find, and, and you can't sustain that. Yeah. It's not healthy and it's not, you know, it, it's not going to uh, uh, manifest good work yes. at the end of the day because you're unhealthy emotionally. And if you're, and if you're, you're family, familial relationships end up on the rocks, that is unhealthy for you and will affect your work and all these other things you know that i think of it like a wheel right like a bicycle wheel you have the hub in the middle and then the wheel rim on the outside and the spokes have to have the appropriate amount of tension or the rim itself gets tacoed right it gets out of out of skew right. and and so you have to have the right balance of tension between all of the different elements of your life otherwise it's the wheel wobbles yeah, <laughs> and that's not, not going to be sustainable. It's an uncomfortable ride right. at best. <laughs> so that's you know, a, it's a great philosophy. Well, it, and, it, and it helped me um, from a, from a leadership perspective, a manager perspective, a human resources perspective is when, when I find that as I'm communicating with, you know, employees or, or people or friends or whatever, if I'm listening to them and I'm hearing from them and I'm hearing, you know, what sounds like good balance, life is usually pretty good. It's a BDE day. But when I'm hearing things that where people are having or struggling in, in one way or the other, or they're, they're struggling in their relationships or struggling at work in some capacity, I always wonder, you know, what's what's askew, what's out of balance. There's usually a, an out of balance component mm. um, that if you know, a good leader, um, if you're a good listener, you may be able to help somebody understand that a little bit better, and and then they can they can work on getting themselves back in, inside the boundaries, back inside the balance uh, point. So. Yeah. I love it. Well, I think that's a great place to, to call it a day. I appreciate it. Kelvin, Chief, thank you so much for sitting down with me. Thank you for the opportunity, Ray. I appreciate it. Hey, that's all we got for today. Thanks for tuning in. Special thanks to Kelvin Barty for sitting down and rapping with us and sharing some of his uh, years of hard-earned wisdom and perspective. Now, if you are enjoying this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts, rate, and review subscribe to this podcast and it will download in the middle of the night while you are sleeping and getting your beauty rest and be there ready for you for your morning commute or your jog or your whatever also leave a rating leave a review wherever you download your podcast the feedback is in, is invaluable also feel free to shoot me an email if you have any thoughts or ideas or potential guests or if you yourself want to be a guest shoot me an email shoot me a text and uh, we will make that happen now the lessons learned about leadership are absolutely paramount to 
our success on the fire ground to our success in life. There were so many great takeaways from today's. I hope that you um, pull something down from that podcast into your brain, find a way to execute on it and go on out there and get some.